0: Hello, my name is Amelia, and you're listening to WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. This is the Hoot, and joining me, w- joining me right now is Chris. Do you want to say hi?
1: Yes, hello, everybody.
0: Amethyst is gonna be coming on a little later. She's running late from work, but yeah, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm really excited. We have the Dr. Aaron Smith here with us today. Um, I've told all my friends and family, so they're excited to hear. Uh, what he has to say today. But um, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hey everybody, it's the rapping professor Aaron Smith, Temple University's own doing what we do, it's the hoot. I'll let you boy.
1: So yeah, so we're gonna have an interesting interview today. Um, Before before we get started, I just wanna say that Aaron Smith was one of the main reasons why I came to Temple. Uh, I went and sat in his class my senior year and kind of like changed my perspective on all the courses I was gonna be taking stuff like that, so uh, Mr. Smith, do you want to just start off by what you do here at Temple?
2: I teach a class called Tupac and Hip Hop Revolution, in the Department of Africology and African American Studies, chaired by the great Dr. Malefe Kete Asante, the first person in the world to have a PhD program in African American Studies was done here at Temple. And he is my teacher and the reason why I'm at Temple University teaching in the department. We talk about uh, colorism, we teach classes on Obama, black social political thought, representing race, um, history of the black church, and black music, just to name a few.
1: Mm -hmm. How long have you worked here at Temple University?
2: Five years as a professor. Okay, okay. But you, I went to Temple. So
1: right, I was going to ask you that next. So I was
2: intermural referee and in telethon and all that. Uh huh. Right. I don't put that on my resume. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Um, well, what was like? What was Temple like when you were here, man? I mean, in terms of the neighborhood, the, the campus, oh, the classes.
2: The best place in the world. That's why I stayed.
1: Okay. Is that a safe? Is that a safe answer? Or no,
2: Temple is the. There is no place on the planet I would rather be. I, I'll actually be in Detroit. Um, this weekend, and I'll be in Moscow next week. After that, I'll be in Boston and then Atlanta and every place I go, mm-hmm. I miss Temple. How mm-hmm.
0: well. have you watched the campus change since coming here and, like, in all of your years here? Oh, goodness,
2: yes. It was, like, three, four dorms when I was here. Yeah, I think we're, like, four. Before 1940, before 1400, yeah, before Morgan, before a lot of things. The Peabody was still up. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of changes, um... Some for the, for the better and some unfortunate, like the Norris Homes, you know. But it's something about progress, you know, that you can't stop it. Time doesn't wait for anybody. So you kind of have to adjust to reality when it comes to that. Because one of the things I talked about was the developers and the Stadium Stompers debate a few years ago. And I said from a historical perspective, as a historian, I had to look and see how many times have the developers lost and I understood the moral argument, but I had to bring a practical analysis to the situation. Every time developers have decided to build something, they postponed it, sometimes put it somewhere else, but it's always been built. Hmm. So knowing that, how much time would I at the age I am now, dedicate toward, I don't know, talking to a megaphone, yelling at trustees or developers. Not much at all, you know, but at the time in my youth, I probably would have spent more time engaged in an endeavor that probably historically never yielded substantial results. So now I know better. And I say, if I want to fight money, oftentimes it's good to fight with money, and if I want to fight powerful interest, it's often good to at least amass enough people power. If that's the the weapon of choice to reach, you know, a point, a critical mass where I can truly impact uh, powerful interest with people power. Mm. But just yelling and wearing T-shirts and talking to megaphones, I'm out of that business. Nobody can convince me that that's the way. At least not for me.
1: Mm. And we're gonna. I want to circle back to that point that you made um, later, but um, I do want to touch on in terms of. What was your interest or how did you get started in uh, being interested in Africology and uh, African American studies in particular?
2: Well, I was originally an um, Asian studies major and I got my degree in Asian studies. I went on to get a degree in liberal arts and while I was getting my liberal arts degree in the master's program, they allowed me to take classes in other departments. So that's when I got a chance to take classes in the Africology department. I was like, wow, people be lying in class. I didn't know any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm black to boot. I feel like, you know, something's wrong here. I spent all this money just to be lied to. So I was like, no, I'm coming over there, you know, with these truth-telling mostly black people. And, and then I applied for the PhD program, but they preferred that I had a master's. So I got another master's in African American studies. And then mm-hmm. I got the PhD. But taking one class with Dr. Asante truly changed my life. Okay.
1: And after saying that, do you feel like, black history month as we know it is important if so why
2: oh goodness is it important yeah the history of the human family so i always say if you're a human being then you should be interested in where two-thirds of human history occurred which was on the continent of africa before any migration took place Mm -hmm. so if you start your history for instance no offense mosaics in greece then you are being lied to. I always compare it to a lab. If they were to set your scale at two instead of zero, everything you tried to weigh would be distorted or off. And if you, if you had your calibration for your camera and trying to do the white balance and someone didn't do it properly, everything you tried to observe and all the colors you engaged would be distorted. So a lot of people enter into the world through this academic space with a distorted perception of themselves and other people around them in reality itself because they start in the middle and it's called the beginning. And for that reason alone, when I ask what the first book was and people say the Iliad or the Bible or Beowulf, and I tell them that the maximums of Patahoe Tep was 2880 BCE, and you gotta take almost 3,000 years to get to zero. The first voice of intelligence from the Greeks were Homer with the Iliad. and that's 1,000 AD. So we're 4,000 years off of, of history when it comes to books, and books are our weapon of choice. So how can we even call ourselves students if we're that you know off, as they like to say? Because if I'm a sports fan, I know about statistics of athletes that were here before mm-hmm. I was born. If I'm yeah. a car enthusiast, I know about Ford and the Model T and all kind of different things under the hood. If you're a student that spends tens of thousands or of $100,000, and you don't even know what the first book was, and don't even know where they were writing or why they were writing or who they were. And I think that puts people at disadvantage, not just black people, just anybody who considers themselves a scholar. Mm-hmm.
1: And in particular with black people, like you said, you know, it's, it's very dangerous to start your history off with slavery because it always limits what you're able to achieve or how you, how you perceive yourself and those around you. Um, and that was kind of like one of the main reasons why I got interested in Africology and why I was interested in your course and you as a professor, of course. Um, um, and in terms of that disconnect about how we perceive racism to be um, and how prevalent it is in our society, I want to know, in your opinion, why do you think that racism is so prevalent in our, in our society today? Like people, for example, say, quote, it's 2020 to say that we're past these issues. But ah, we're not, that's you know? a good
2: one. Um, I, I, I compare it to a game of Jenga, the wooden blocks game. I say racism like a game of Jenga, and nobody wants to pull the bottom blocks because they're afraid that the whole tower, the whole republic tower will fall. But I always say that you can't prune a problem, you have to get to the root of a problem. And the thing about liars is once you tell a lie, you gotta keep lying to keep that up. So if you told a lie and said there was nothing going on in Africa, it was a dark continent, people weren't reading, they weren't writing, they were just running around with bones in their noses and naked, and we're civilizing these heathens with Christianity and they're lucky to be working for us. If that's the lie you told initially, then how do you go back on that lie and then say, well, actually, everything from our dollar bill to the fact that we call a class at Temple University a course, and a course is a block on a pyramid, and the last block on a pyramid, like the last class you take here at Temple, is a capstone course. A capstone is the triangular block on the top of a pyramid, so even the, the educational system is based on African archaeology and, 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 and architecture, but nobody will tell you that, and you'll have students right down the street who will say college isn't for them when the first university in the world, Waset, later called Luxor by the Greeks, was in Africa, and all these great people they talk about from Plato to Socrates, the Thales, studied in Africa, the feet of African masters. So if you want people to get together, you should talk about times where we cooperated and coexisted with no violence, because there's no record of any lynchings going on in ancient Kemet, as we call, you know, the the land. There's no no record of people being chased out and not wanting to live next to people because they resemble Santa Claus's cousin or anything like that. Like, if you want to talk about the best of what it means to be human, like Dr. Milana Karanga, the founder of Kwanzaa, says, then we got to focus on those times in history where we weren't as sick and weren't as distorted and judge people by the, the look of their face and how much melanin they had or didn't have we were actually far more capable and productive when we didn't use that designation as a means to treat people fully human
1: Mm -hmm. and how do you think that going off of the points you just made in terms of uh going past the prejudice and the brainwash that we've kind of conditioned growing up or got used to uh having in our lives growing up how can temple students build a closer relationship Uh, with local residents of North Philly uh, with the uh, uh, employees that we have here in terms of those who work um, in the cafeterias and on you know on Temple's campus how do you think that temple students coming from outside areas can build a better relationship
2: well in in the african tradition it's advised that you grow in moral character as you ascend in your obtaining of information there's no mad scientist like you don't just learn all the facts but then you're a jerk right mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way there's an emphasis like in martial arts i'm not going to teach you the the death touch of den if you're going to go to a bar and try to show off in front of your right, friends right, right mm-hmm. i'm going to have to give you a certain degree Of discipline and character before I give you this information Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we don't see that so we need a paradigm shift where we remember the importance of the community Mm -hmm. how the janitors and the chefs are just as important as the professors it's a paradigm shift if I ask you why you're here and you're here to get a job then everything that you view and everything that you value is going to be related to that goal and that purpose. Mm. So if I say, what's your purpose? If your purpose is to enrich empire or to enrich corporations, then what is the discussion about how I treat people? So the rates of everything from sexual assault to, to plagiarism, through the roof. Mm. Mm. I'm not here to treat people fairly. I'm not here to be honest on a test. I'm here to get a job, so I'm doing whatever it means or whatever it takes to get to that means, and I'm justified however I need to. But if you start to think in terms of, in terms of family honor, Am I embarrassing my family by, right? Mm-hmm. How would I want to be treated if I was in that position? That changes everything. I always say once you could see yourself in other people, then you become that, that what they call God conscious. Mm-hmm. If I could look at any individual and say, hello, hey, and meet people, connect with people, be sincere, not just say it to you know, get them out of my face. Once you can really identify with other people's humanity, I think that's the beginning, and that's the type of students that we seek to cultivate. Just the other day, we listened to music the whole class, and a lot of people were so ingrained in the matrix and in the system, and they'd been so indoctrinated that they couldn't even appreciate time to settle in and focus and live in the moment. They were just waiting for the slides, what's gonna be on the test, the anxiety of the grade, and they couldn't just be a human being and just enjoy a song and just relax and recognize that it has nothing to do with this stuff. I can't remember 90% of the stuff I learned in my classes, but I can remember the professors that I liked that connected with me or made me wanna do more or do or be better. You, people don't remember how what you say to them, they will remember how you made them feel. That's what lasts. But if you keep giving them the slide and the test, then you send them out to the world like automatons and robots who don't have care for other people. Mm-hmm. They'll be stepping over the homeless people at City Hall the same way the last generation did and then talk about how we need to change the world and everybody wants to bring peace on earth while, you know, they'll throw out 45% of the food that we have in this nation alone. Mm-hmm. About three point something million people die of starvation every year and we have enough food that we can make it in laboratories.
1: And do you really feel like a town hall or like some type of meeting between all these type of communities could really fix these problems? Because I feel like, it, I mean, that's a, that could be a start, but it's not enough, in my opinion.
2: No, I say um, like-minded people should be the, the mantra in 2020. Like-minded people. I look online and there's so much arguing going on and debating going on, and the energy and effort that's given persuading or trying to persuade somebody else, I always say it's not tug-of-war. And I would say race is not a zero-sum game of winners and losers. Racism is a zero sum game of winners and losers. But when you talk about differences, if I was to identify what I see in this studio, I would identify you know, things from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Somebody else on a, from a different perspective on the other side of that board would look at it totally different. It does not mean they're wrong, it means we exist in a three dimensional world. So when somebody says to me, I love the police, we have great interaction. I've come from, I'm from a neighborhood where that's the general consensus, that's their experience. Right. They're not saying it to be racist or because they don't like my lived experience. Likewise, they should be able to acknowledge the reason why I might feel differently. Mm-hmm. It's a three-dimensional world. People have perspectives that are differing, and that's okay. But for me to spend my energy and my effort trying to pull you over to my side is silly as opposed to just acknowledging your perspective, you acknowledge mine, and you enrich your own through a greater understanding of the perspectives that exist. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to change people. You know, if you read any thread in any video, you know, it spirals out of control real fast, right? It becomes hateful and distractive. Mm-hmm. But if you just identify who feels the way you feel, who's willing to at least work towards some goals that you believe in? Then you should actually quarantine and silo yourself for a certain amount of time in order to make a certain degree of progress. When you look at authors, when you look at Olympic athletes, people spend a lot of time alone. In African tradition, rites of passage, there's always some solitude involved. Mm -hmm. You get away from everybody else to really find yourself and your thoughts and your purpose. Mm -hmm. Don't be in the mix trying to talk to everybody and wonder why you don't even know who you are when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, and on that note, we do have to go to our first break, but make sure you guys stick around. And we are back. You're listening to the Hoot here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. I'm still here with Chris and Professor Aaron Smith, who's Temple University's rapping professor.
1: Yeah, would you like? You want to get us started with some bars? Oh, some bars,
0: some bars. I, get I, get I can't
2: hear myself too much. Yeah, I'm a rapper, so gotta say turn me up in my headphones. <laughs> turn me up in. My, no, I really am low though. I don't know why. If I have control, do I have control over here? Yeah. Oh no, it's not It sure isn't It's not 1-2-1-2 Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know Can I hear the music though? Is music going to play? Um,
0: let's see if I can find anything
2: Let's I get these bars popping
0: Do you want to play some from your phone? Yeah Because I think do? it's going to be what weird You play whenever <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, you what play you they put it in the, in the mic? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah Oh, that's, so what that's you want? Uh, Yeah, it is yeah,
1: Well, yeah, I, yeah.
2: I'll just start rapping And you can switch it up Like Punkmaster Flex does Right? Okay, all right Let's do um, some exclusive bars. A lot of people have seen some of the other <laughs> bars. So, oh, um. I'm King DeSani like a homie, out with all of y'all. I'm T Paz, your left eye, watch your waterfall. MJ ringing things, y'all. Saw the ball. You act gangster if I cut, they call the law. There's no dissing me. My flow sickening. I heat them up, bruh, rotisserie. El Presidente, but I don't part in rappers. They'll never see you again. I'm milk carton rappers. Fourth of July on the fly, the way I'm sparking rappers. Either you ride or you die. There's no barking rapper. And I don't bite either. I just write ether. See, you right but it's wrong. You something like Trina, a big bad. Oh, you mad? Flinch. And you'll be in some muddy waters way past Flint. Because if you swing and I dip, you'll never miss again. I roll up, poke you, air you out. Michelin. Tire writer, versus more fire. These trifling biters, my cannons for more riots. Your cannon for more riot. Visions of love get lost because they all wildin'. Ow, Al, you broke, I paid, little rapper. What they do, dig you out the grave, little rapper. You the master, the slave, little rapper. You the student, I get raised, little rapper. Thank me for sharpening your blade, little rapper. You see, I came to give you game, little rapper. Girls might even stop and wave, little rapper They'll be sounding like your ex saying, hey, little rapper You like a sweet promoter, the way you jerking, brothers Somebody call young thug, we need more skirts for brothers Cause this ain't what y'all want, I'm little jerkin' brothers I'm like loaded lux in that tux, I'm giving out work to brothers Zero number of what, I get these dirty brothers You get washed up, quick, fast, and I hurry, brother Casket raps, I snap, and I bury, brothers Young Zab is back, not jabs when I flurry, brothers Take y'all off in the start, see I worry, brothers Fog light on a cockroach, scurry, brother Black Eminem man, see how I murder brothers two for one with a 16 to 30 brothers ain't got two to spare ready to give you to spare. levels up this lyrical ladder i climbed a few this year my whole performance is more impressive yours more of the same you lame and now you stressing standing there second guessing heart filled up with questions hoping your lines punch me while i'm punching your chesting. in this holy feel i'm giving hitting you and your crew ain't no ties son you bit off more than you could chew clap at you pigeons while i clap to the rhythm i get loosey goosey with it then i bring it back with precision standing there like i'm next i hit them with shells all this work just to lose Hillary L, that's too soon, I feel it's too late. By the time they feel a burn, it's gonna be at they wake. Wait, you wanna stop breathing, then just start beefing. This is where ambition and ability are not even. Now where was we, um, there it's your wake. You shoulda got a ghostwriter, you Melania Drake. You gotta choose the right roads when you try to be great. You'll end up on a back block with a nine in your face. Even worse, rap battles with no time to create. Try to win, but the pin bin, not the grenade. Set him straight, that and they blow him in the space. I bet his bars on Mars still wouldn't be flames. Heat him up, literally eat him. Up. These dudes is food, they threw. Let's speed it up. You'll never be better than the vet settles and debtors. When letters are put together clever enough to sever. Whoever will never dead up, anybody can get it. When mentioning the new best of I better be in it. Woo! Who the pronoun? Words, slurs, pronouns, whose sound is profound? Oh, they don't know now. He got a ghostwriter. He sound asthmatic. He just yelling all the time. That boy too dramatic. He wanna be a sheen fronting like he gon' go ride. Talkin' smoke like he craig. You ain't gotta lie. I squint your shins, cap your knees, Charlie horse your thighs. I knock your hips out of place, dislocate your spine, decapitate your non-rabbits, three dunk it to make it plain. I'm the wrong OG for wrong Bars.
1: Hey, man. That was tough. <laughs> Yo, ratchet. Yo, That was tough.
2: I got the Loaded Lux God. hoodie on today. Please. Yeah, I know. Great hoodie season. Shout out for Loaded Lux. So I kept the bars extra ratchet.
0: <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs>
1: that was good, man. That I'm was so The Hillary so line. Hey, yeah. That was that was wrap. hard. Oh, my God. That was hard.
2: Trying to rap, you know. So to keep the brand going.
1: Can you tell them the story about when you rapped uh, and uh, Kanye was in the studio Oh and- no It was
2: a Behind the Beats We had an event When I used to work At the FM station um, The Beat Was the name of the station We did something called Behind the Beats With Kanye West When Gold Digger came out So I decided to ask, Make my question Can I rap and that's when I first met Kanye West, and I rapped for him. But he called a couple bars and did some co-signs. Ironically, he co-signed a line about, I said, the new George Bush is George Bush. Uh-huh. So trust every time the government shoved, the push is going to push. And he was like, yo, he like he enjoyed that line. And later on, he did the whole George Bush doesn't care about black people. Mm-hmm. So I respected that for that connection. But yeah, yeah. I was co-signed by Kanye West and Cornell West. That's a unique distinction.
1: Thanks. Hey, I mean, for back then, that was more, uh, we're going to talk about Kanye West a little later, too, because I told you we're going to get into you know, the black You're the old, old Kanye co-signing. Yeah, facts. Yeah, yeah. Kanye. We gotta make that distinction, you know. Um
0: I was gonna say, I don't know if that holds the same value today <laughs> as it did.
1: So <laughs> yo,
2: Kanye agrees with me. They're like, hey, what
1: you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. What you going <laughs> in? Right. So, um, we're gonna get into another interesting story that we had planned to talk about. We really love to hear your perspective, okay. uh, Professor Smith. So, um Cecil B. Moore, mural, was vandalized with spray painted racial slur, uh racial slur. This is coming from Philly Voice. And uh, basically, the summary about what happened is a mural honoring the Philadelphia civil rights activist Cecil B. Moore was found to have been vandalized with a spray painted racial slur on Saturday morning. The mural, which is located on the 1400 block of North Bovier Street and West Jefferson Street in North Philadelphia, was discovered by neighbors to have the F word and N word spray painted on it early Saturday morning. Philadelphia police are currently investigating the situation, but no arrests have been made yet. The police are asking anyone with information or a tip on the vandalism to the mural to let officials know via phone at 215-686-3093 or 3094. Or you can just text 215-686-TIPS, T-I-P-S, or 8477. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Cecil B. Moore served in World War II as a Marine before moving to Philadelphia and attending Temple University. While a resident of Philadelphia, Moore was a civil rights defense attorney, the president of the local NAACP chapter, and a city council member. Uh, Moore, who reportedly marched with Martin Luther King Jr., was famous for his help in integrating Girard College. Um, Now, something I thought was interesting in the article uh, that we're using is that um, the author made a connection to this incident and the amount of racial propaganda that manifests, manifests itself into our city. Uh, The author mentions that, according to a report released by the Anti-Defamation League on Wednesday, uh, Pennsylvania had 47 documented incidents of white supremacist propaganda in 2019. Roughly a third of those incidents happened in Philadelphia, Um, and in 2018, 40 incidents occurred in Pennsylvania, including nine in Philadelphia. So we see like a giant increase in terms of uh, how much is going on in our city. And I just want to know your initial thoughts on the situation.
2: Find out where Mike Bloomberg was during those hours. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, but I I, I marvel at the the way the resources are allocated because I remember thinking about how during the impeachment situation, you know the smoke and mirrors. Donald Trump was still given basically a blank check for defense over seven hundred and thirty-something billion dollars. And this idea that he's going to make this sixth branch of the military the space force, which Ronald Reagan used to talk about back in the '80s. You know, literally putting guns on other planets. You know, so while people are starving and not acting like full human beings, how much does it cost to buy a camera nowadays? The camera's not that expensive. It's just the way the Emmett Till's you know memory is. They have the camera on it, and they caught those people shooting up his you know his um, mm-hmm. memorial. Mm-hmm. Like to have a camera on these kind of stuff, sites cost what probably like 20 bucks and like it could be motion detector motion sensor and it doesn't even have to come on unless somebody's there oh, but like the idea that it's more important to focus on killing and i marveled i was on the radio for like a year and nobody ever called me asking about the price of any military intervention with 800 plus bases around the world and nobody ever said how much is that going to cost but the moment i talked about health care the moment i talked about medicare for all people were like how i gonna pay for that Mm-hmm. And I said, if you never asked how we're going to pay to kill people, but your first time asking and inquiring is when it comes to helping yourself, you should recognize that you've been programmed and it's problematic. Mm-hmm. You never asked about how we're going to bomb these people, how we're going to kill these people, how we're going to. Nobody ever says, what's the price tag on this? How long have we been in Afghanistan? Like, how much has this costed us? Nobody mm-hmm. ever asked that. But that just shows, you know, that that, that whole pimp to. You know where the relationship is is in full effect because there's, there's no way where you can go do all the work and then you just come back and take all the risks and be like, oh, here you go, here's my taxes, you know. But if if somebody tries to buy something from me, I'll be in an the uproar. Mm-hmm. There's actually more of an uproar than for the second stimulus package. When they were saying too big to fail and they bailed out General Motors and bailed out Wall Street, I saw less people upset about the second. Now the first one, there was people took the streets after they saw that they couldn't do nothing, and I guess they were like, damn, they felt defeated, whatever case may be. I mean, they're moving to Occupy Wall Street away from the city hall, but that second package. Went pretty smooth. This talk of Medicare for all is facing greater resistance from the masses of people, because that's what happens when you program things effectively. You don't have to actually be there. You know, when you have a good program running, you could just leave and it'll run on autopilot by itself. Mm-hmm.
1: And that kind of ties into my to my second question too. In terms of for both of you, I mean, do you think our society handle handles issues like this well? I mean, what what do people ever learn from something like this? You know,
2: well, the way we give people attention in a day where eyeballs always equal dollars, but nowadays, you know, clout is currency. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to give attention to the person who did this and not give attention to the person, I don't know, who probably saved somebody's life today. Somebody might have created some ingenious invention and made life easier for people. That some corporation is trying to squash like the electric car or some light bulb that could last for a year because they don't make enough money by you know, having that kind of creativity. But these kind of stories can be promoted too. You can promote those kind of stories every day. And the whole society can be geared toward, you know if I want to get noticed, if I want to be recognized and remembered, then I need to innovate and help society. But if you want to give more attention to serial killers than you do to inventors or to good teachers, then it's no surprise why you, you, know, you create a lot more serial killers than you do inventors and good teachers. When's the last time you heard uh, an inventor that was was popping? Thomas Edison? I don't know. (laughs) Way back, though. (laughs) Right? We have things now that we use. We don't know who made them. People don't know who made the smartphone. People don't, you know, they they have no idea because we don't celebrate that type of involvement with society. We celebrate and give attention because we want to sell a prescription medicine, to stories that can get people anxious and depressed and dislocated from society. So by the time you finish watching the news, you know, you feel depressed, you feel scared. And they say, have you been feeling scared and depressed, right? Yeah, because I've been watching your damn show, right? So after you finish watching the news and you get all depressed, then they, they, pharmaceuticals come in. So it doesn't fit the bill to sell you ideas about meditation. For instance, you're not going to see a bunch of stories about meditation on the news, because then why would you need this pill? Mm-hmm. And the pill is what paid for the show. It's not about the guests. It's not about the content or the songs. When I'm on my show, it's not about what I'm saying. It's just the fact that I can bring those people enough you know, time on the air so they can listen to the commercials. The commercials drive the content. And if the commercial is the pharmaceutical industry, one of the major you know, donors to all these news networks, then they're going to give you stuff that helps them sell their product. Mm-hmm. So most of you don't see them in tandem like that. But no, when people scare you and say, I'm going to tell you why you're not safe at 8 o'clock. And it's like 4 o'clock. <laughs> Be careful what you eat. Half things are tam- contaminated. Tell you at 11 o'clock. Right. And you're like, wait, why don't you tell me now if I could die, right? But if I can get you anxious and afraid, then I can make more money. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that whole idea of getting people upset, right? They spray to be boys, they, oh my God. Then they say, oh, the person was 25. Was I hate young people oh, the person was white. I hate white people, right? Like, just if I could do that, if I can get people separated and upset at each other, then it's much better for me because nobody's going to look up and see me exploiting the people and taking the majority of the money. What do they say? The 17 top families own more than, like, the bottom 30 to 50% of the nation's wealth. Like, talk about a game. Like, if you just happen to know that, nobody would care about their salary anymore. Your salary is relative, right? This whole idea, if I want to make a six-figure salary and it's, they said that bill gates makes so much money that if he dropped a hundred dollar bill it would not be in his best interest to pick it up because he's making more money every five seconds mm. for him to stop and grab it would be worse than him just he, like, living he makes mm. more money mm. Mm. yeah
1: and i mean you know it's interesting because kind of going off of what you said about doing everything for cloud one of the discussion questions i had was um you know would you all be surprised if it was someone who went to our school who did this in terms of, you know, I, I could imagine it just in terms of, oh, it's Black History Month. You know, da, da, I'm going to do something funny for my friends. Oh, yeah, there's
2: jerks everywhere.
1: Yeah.
2: I think that's what, that's what people need to, to realize, too. Like, any any group has its traitors and its jerks and its losers and its violent people. And I think once we face that reality, it's a lot easier to recognize jerks for who they are and not because of you know their race or gender or age they're just jerks because they're jerks and a lot of times it's more comfortable to just be like you know these old people these young people these white people these black people but in reality there's a whole lot of people in every group that i would never want to be around mm-hmm. period yeah. whether they're pedophiles or i don't want to be around them even even they look like me like that does, that's not my, my, my metric mm. for who I engage with. And it's ironic that a lot of people live their whole lives hanging out with people that could pass for their cousins. Their entire friend network are people that look very similar to them. And it's tragic because if you had them blindfolded and write down who they are and who they identify with, they'd probably end up coalescing with different people based on you know their music taste, their food taste, type people they like to be around. But we're so driven by our phobias and our fear to be ostracized from other people in society, that we don't even engage other people on a human level, we engage them on a phenotypical level. Oh, you look like me, you're safe, like it's junior high, and we're finding what lunch table to sit at. But when you're like 50, it's like real corny, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and on that note, we do need to head out to our second break, but make sure you guys stick around for when we come back. And we are back. you listening to The Hoot here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, the mural of Cecil B. Moore that was va- vandalized this weekend. But um, Chris, that's the new story for us.
1: Yeah, so actually um, we want to get one more round of of, of uh, freestyle. from my Bars! Man, Professor Smith real
2: quick <laughs>
1: while he's here. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to let him take it away, man. Go ahead. Yo!
2: My favorite rappers, Pac Nas, Wise Intelligence, Slick Rick, AZJ, Meek Lauren Ye, and KRS. My favorite rappers, Pac Nas, Wise Intelligence, Slick Rick, AZJ, Meek Lauren Ye, and KRS. Hate Hater Coon is scared to be himself, see? Hater hey, Go Digger only wants you if you're wealthy. Hated and seeded, that always need a punchline. Hate fake thugs that scared to move at crunch time. Hate George Bush, hate Condoleezza, and Hillary. Hate teachers that lie on African history. Hate white cops that brutalize us, black men. Hate black cops that be scared to take action. Hate the Blue Clutch Clan. Hate my foes. Hate Bohemian Grove. I hate skull and bones. Hate those that don't know. Hate is in y'all Bibles. Ecclesiastes 3.8. Here's y'all revival. A time to love and a time to hate. And a time for war and a time for peace. It's time you realize, open your eyes and see it. Cause I ain't got time for haters hating on me. I hate those that don't appreciate truth. And if this applies to y'all, I hate you. The truth spirit is broken and religion stolen. And if I try to speak the truth, they like hold it fam. Forget your past. Yo, focus on cash flow. Well, that we young, rich, and lost, so they asked for it. <laughs> Don't lace up your boots, put on the best and shoot, but put this ribbon on your chest and support our troops. Wanna get mad at them, said I just laugh at them, like thinking libate really helped out Africa. You ate Africa? You saved Africa? You hate Africa? You raped Africa? For they think I'm some bit of black man beefing, give them a dozen reasons we be seeing through their treason. Greedy, lean on the needy, not giving them what they need, and They heard them like Halliburton, the beers, the diamonds, the evils, skulls, the bones, and the secrets, of and your pieces, preachers of paganism. They'd hate to not be like Jesus, despite the truth I'm speaking multitudes of the people Deny the true relevance of this conspiracy theory Know they hearing me clearly I know they fearing me dearly It's seriously scary How many people really with me? Know the world gonna feel me These devils gonna try to kill me Like Timothy fight the good fight Till enemies come and get me Enemies acting friendly Offending me But I'm chilling Playing up my position Till in position to hit them Fear no man no not any For most of y'all I feel pity Ye have little faith I wouldn't take this game and redeem it See the meaning of fearless Please acknowledge the realest I give them a different feeling than all of these other spitters Addicted to competition They all wanna rock Competition sending mischief Equals somebody pop Shocked. Bigger figures spit indignant in the test to be hot Feeling like it's 97 when they ended up shot Watch B.I.G. R.I.P. But they do the same things that help them D.I.E. All I see, drug deals key by key in the these hip-hop police try to stop our cream Which leaves another broken home Not cause they toting chrome Just cause we failed to see the enemies that focus on us Before they was a fetus, too young and dumb to see it When you like 20, getting money in them large arenas When your pocket's thick, then you targeted Hey, one day you might just smarten up and start to flip Realize you been a puppet, pull out and start dumping, Or even worse First nation building, organize the public, them devils gonna hate it, my people gonna love it, cause that's the only way we ever gonna own something no frontin', I'm the one that they fear, fear less, here. this, I'ma kill it this year To cheer, dads get bagged for g-packs a crack come back, they all act like he fought in Iraq doors in Iraq is watching they back, forced to stay strapped, strapped no rich fledged at their jackets. they packin', pipes to payback. bombs over bag that ain't just when Dre wrapped, the world away cats black and gray caps, raid the p-jacks for cash, and they dash, back to their stash laugh mash, and spray max, they tattoo a a cases in case that stash get snatched back in a raid that they fled stay fed cake bread chasing they clams matrix shape them raise the hate feds and yet on the back of that rusty revolver the eye of a child who would cry for his father now he firewiling out and often the author of the most misogynistic violence he could conjure Ooh, they wouldn't bother now they bother because i'm being honest we live in mirrors of that terror that they put upon us minimize our contributions truth is we enormous the earl man to go to rap is back to claim his honest. my lines are shining my rounds are blinded my mind are diamond my mind is silent looking. Like a shining sign, I got it. Your highness, riding. I'm five and I'm hyped up while I'm driving. Exciting, tighten. My pen always enlightens when I got it. Your mind is minor. You rhyme about balance, bringing drama. Generating mamas or putting diamonds on your incisors. I ain't arguing what hip hop is. I wonder why you in this hip hop biz. As for me, I be blinging and bringing my single, singin' a song of freedom. Me being seen as a real one is all I'm needing. Ain't gotta hate on rappers. Wanna battle, save it, rapper. I'm on the map and brought it back for all my favorite rappers. Bars. Mm.
1: Nice man. I knew, you was going, I knew you was going to come with the spoken word type energy when you were shouting out KR, KRS-One and Yeah, you know, man. you, you know, me? it's only right. I mean, I'm loving it though, dude. Um, let's go ahead and transition into, you know, uh, let's do a little sidebar here and just okay. talk about with you rapping, you know, you, you teach in a, uh, the Tupac Hip Hop Revolution class. Um, would you like to share any thoughts in terms of, you think, the importance and the significance of the platform of rap and hip hop?
2: One of the things I noticed in my class... All the students, no matter where they're from, no matter how much money their family has, no matter what their religion is or how safe or unsafe their schools are, whether they're AP classes or whether they didn't have new books, they all have ear pods in. They all have a playlist. And almost all of them can identify you know, common artists that they listen to, at least some type of Venn diagram overlap you know, for a majority of students in my class. If there's a universal language that you know connects people, above every other designation I've previously described. How academically arrogant would it be? How strategically ignorant would it be of me to not utilize the one common language that we all might have? The one thing we all might have in common in a class of 250 is that we know who Cardi B is. Mm-hmm. I can name 50 other things that I would swear everybody knew, and oftentimes there's at least 20 people in the class who are like, well, not me. Never heard of it. i am mm-hmm. like, hey, this guy named Martin Luther King. At least two people are like, hmm, who Did he have a show with Tisha Campbell? I'm like, no, no different Martin, right? But Cardi B, everybody got it right away. There's never a surprise. So at least they say you should take people from the point where they know something and identify with them on that level. Meet them where they are to bring them to levels of higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. You don't talk over people's heads and lose them and put them to sleep. I used to marvel walking past classes where I see students sleeping. Nobody's sleeping in my class.
1: Mm -hmm. I can attest for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like in terms of the argument with Rap and its appropriation. Now, I know that's a a very uh, big topic in terms of, um, uh, you know, culture and things like that. Um, You know, our perspective on rap may be different from your perspective on rap just because you've seen it grow and develop more than we have in our lifetime, right? Same with my great grandfather, and my grandfather may have. Conflicting views on jazz and its relation and how it was for them. It ain't the
2: blues; it's all right though.
1: Right, right. So, how do you think in terms of that conversation today, wrapping this appropriation? Where should our mindset be with that?
2: Well, one of the powerful realities about hip hop is this is the first time, probably in the history of of the the country, where the parents, grandparents, and children are listening to the same music. Hmm. Because we went from spirituals to blues. We went from blues to jazz. We went from jazz to disco, for real, for real, folk and rock and R&B. And hit. Like, now we really have the ability for three generations to connect simply by names like KRS-One. Oh, sure. Or some names that have really been here for that long. Like, like Jay-Z's literally been rapping for, like, 25 to 28 years. Mm-hmm. Like, what, 96? Right? Yeah, That's a yeah, quarter yeah, of a century. Least, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, and all his influences, because we can literally, through hip-hop, connect three to four generations of people. People in the same car can listen to the same album.
1: Yeah. That's a good point you that's made. Ne- that's yeah. never
2: happened before. Like I yeah. you said, your grandfather mm-hmm. and your father, is going to be different. There's going to be a, a separation there. Mm-hmm. But we're not accessing because we don't view it as uh, worthy of academic rigor. So when people hear Tupac, they don't look at it the same way as if I taught a class on, I don't know, anybody else. Bach. Or even like Thomas Jefferson. Last I checked, if you're 46 and she's 14 and you own her, that's not just pedophilia, it's rape. Yeah. So if that's not part of the conversation, if we can have a whole conversation about Thomas Jefferson for six hours, he can get statues and his face carved in statues, and nobody ever mentions, hey, dude's a major perv, though. All right. But then we wonder why we need blue phones all over the place, but we have all these schools named Jefferson in the streets and bridges and highways. Maybe we gave a full depiction of who people are for the good and the bad. We can have a much safer and more realistic society.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it gets it gets interesting, man, especially with uh, this whole conversation on appropriation. I know we kind of go on a little bit. No, go for of, it. Um, but I, I, while I have you here, I do want to hear your opinions on, uh, did you see Chet Hanks, Tom Hanks' son? and his? I'm familiar with his antics. Yeah. I would love to hear your opinion on that, Well, man. there's
2: not much I can say because the artist Russ kind of summed it up. I don't know if you saw when Russ had talked about cultural mm. appropriation. Mm-hmm yeah the artist Russ was just I guess talking about the difference between appropriating excuse me and cultural exchange you know he was just talking about things he doesn't feel comfortable speaking on and ways to engage with all due respect and deference when you're in other people's spaces culturally and historically Mm -hmm. and That's the reason why some artists never catch that flack, regardless of where they're from or what they look like. And other artists always run through those problems because it's about getting where you fit in and playing your position. And he was just saying how, It's not right for him to be part of this black genre, but then not speak up on social issues that affect black people. So he felt like it was only right, you know, if he's going to be a white artist benefiting in this, uh, you know, through this medium, that when it's time to do the work or to take the risk or to stand up, Mm -hmm. that he does that. And he was saying how a lot of artists don't realize that responsibility or that connection or that time to be quiet and not really participate on the same level.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, you hear all the time from him, from um, different other people who kind of have the same general consensus as, uh, as uh, Chet Hanks did in terms of why he's choosing to appropriate or, uh, uh, you know, you
2: Say the not even necessarily, that, yeah, you know. Kind of
1: thing. Um, but uh, they usually just say it's because of people being sensitive. And he kind of says something similar. He was like, you know, it's not a big deal when you see black people snowboarding. Or you know you see black people uh, sing country music, and he was definitely sending shots to Lil Nas. Like yeah, you know what funny. I'm saying. But I mean I'm like that's not the same
2: as an accent or
1: you know what I'm saying a language that's usually reduced to a dialect at that. You know what I'm saying. I think
2: it's also different if you're still acting like that after the beat ends. Mm. Mm. If you assume a persona when you're performing, it's very different than getting off stage. Like, I remember people were marveling at the fact that DMX really talked like that. When DMX first came out, we all expected him to start talking like a regular human being. When he was growling and barking in the interviews, we were like, wow, this is really him. Like, 24-7. Like, he would finish the song and be like, "Ah, yeah,
0: that's what I do.
2: And I was like, wait, there's no beat, right? Very few people are really like that, you know, all the time. So if you're going to be on like that, you know, like you are on stage... And it's sort of like a caricature of another culture, then I think there's some concerns that should be acknowledged. I just, and I think it's the epitome of marginalization to decide for other people, you know, when they're able to be offended and triggered and how I mean it's like the slavery debate when people say get over it, right? Can you imagine somebody violating somebody, sexual assault and or like Kavanaugh, but I'm saying like their average individual saying, Oh, that was a long time ago, you should get over it. Can you imagine a relative who molested somebody in a family, come to family reunion 20 years later and be like, 20 years ago, y'all chill. Mm, right. Like, you don't have the right to speak on this issue in any way. Mm-hmm. You're the one who offended other people. Your decision with regards to how they should interpret it and how they should receive it is like the epitome of racism, sexism, arrogance, marginalization, oppression. Like, that's the worst thing you could do is be like, I don't think you should feel that way. Mm-hmm. And since I don't think you should feel that way, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing because I've decided not only what I should say, but how you should feel about it. So I think there's a unique level of ignorance and arrogance. Toxic cocktail.
1: Continuing off of what you said, always, always like, you know, compare when people say, oh, you're crazy to you're sensitive. Both are dismissive terms, you know? It means you're not really willing to listen to the other side, either one. If you say, oh, you're crazy, you're never really like looking into why they're acting like Mm -hmm. that or. You know, like I, you used an example one time in class. Um, it was basically just saying, like, you know, if you see a woman running in the aisle, you know, from an alley screaming or something like that, you know, you're without any context, your first thing may be like, you know, whoa, like, why is What's she doing it? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like uh, making her seem like she's guilty or something or something like that. Or, you know, some people may view it like that. But with context, if you find out that something happened it's to she's her, it's being chased. Or yeah, something, you know what I'm right? saying? Yeah, it changes you know, everything. It, it does.
2: Seeing somebody yelling walking down Broad Street is very different than seeing somebody yelling coming down Broad Street, but you know they've just been violated or robbed or something right mm-hmm. like if once you get context I think you know it, it changed everything in a way where you would never even want to make a judgment without context yeah. that one oh sorry that one example makes you say let me always get context before I ever pass judgment I would never give judgment without context mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like not only like a scholarly but a human thing to do
0: and I think you can lump phrases like calm down in with that too because it makes oh, yeah. it feel like it sounds wrong in order to have a reaction, like as if it's wrong to feel something and you condemn people for that versus just letting them be and exist because ultimately like, like you need to be able to feel those things and there's no problem with that. And so if people are going to perceive that there is a problem with mm-hmm. that, then that's on them and we can't keep trying to turn it around and warp the narrative.
2: And even if you identify with somebody's anger and even if you want them to calm down there's appropriate ways to do it and there's ways that are like you said dismissive if somebody says to you i understand why you're upset this is a bad situation we're gonna need to do-. like that's very different than saying calm down yeah, right, right yeah. if somebody identi- meets you where you are i identify with your pain mm-hmm. i know why you're upset mm-hmm. But we're going to need to relax in order to. That's like, to me, it's a different approach. It's more respectful. You know, it's allowing you to still be a human being. It's not like saying you shouldn't have had that reaction. So, even when people do, you know, disagree with how to deal with situations, there's ways to approach it in a way where everybody's full humanity is still respected. And if they still choose to uh, interpret it differently, they should still have that right. They should be like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not good with it. I'm going to stay mad right now. You know, and that should be cool too. Like, that's the way you deal with it. You go ahead and be calm. Good for you. Mm-hmm. I'm really upset. But well,
1: at least you made the effort in terms of no, coming out. You know what I'm
2: saying? C- communication, respectful communication, and you can respectfully disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, you can at the end we can say, you know what, we've had our conversation. We still feel differently, and life goes the heck on. No.
0: And on that note, we do need to get ready to head out for the night. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for your time, Professor Smith. Bang, bang, gang, gang. Thank (laughs) you If you guys are interested in any more news department content, make sure you tune in tomorrow at 4 p.m. for Beyond the Lead. We'll be interviewing some reporters from the Temple News. But other than that, have a great night, guys.